Welcome to our Exchanges at Goldman Sachs Markets Update for April 17th. Each week, we check in with leaders across the firm to get a quick take on what they're watching in markets. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. And today's guest is Mina Flynn of our Consumer and Investment Management Division. Welcome to the program, Mina. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for having me. Give us a quick intro and explain what you do here at the firm. Sure. I've been with the firm for 20 years, and I oversee our global market solutions group within the consumer and investment management division. And this group partners with private clients and family offices to really deliver the entire capabilities of the firm to help them meet their objectives. Those objectives are very far ranging given what the client base is. And luckily, we have a big toolkit inside the firm to be able to uh, pull from. But we provide really customized advisory, structuring, and execution services across asset classes to these clients. We also manage structured investment and equity option strategies to complement portfolios that they have. And then also, we um, provide access to private company investment offerings in both the equity and credit markets. It's a very intellectually stimulating role. Um, Our clients that we work with have long-term permanent capital, and they really seek out the best risk-adjusted return opportunities across all markets. And as we know, those opportunities regularly change based on macroeconomic events. So Mina, a few weeks ago, all of our trading teams transitioned to working remotely. What's that been like for your team? And do you even envision that possibility a month ago? Absolutely. Um, I definitely didn't envision this a month ago. And it's been, it's been definitely challenging to be working from home while at the same time, going through the most volatile first quarter in history. That being said, I really think the firm acted quickly and was well-prepared. So our leadership team, our engineering team, really provided an immense amount of support and guidance. And I think our teams rose to the challenge. And they partnered with our clients in a way that made their experience, by and large, with Goldman as seamless as possible, despite everything that's going on. We are past the initial fire drill of ensuring that we can get everything done but definitely still making progress on how to do it most efficiently. And I think the exciting thing is that we've also fast-forwarded the ability to work productively outside of the office. And this is going to present new opportunities for our workforce and our our clients over time. So you mentioned the extreme volatility we've seen in the market. That's continuing straight through this week. What are some of the key numbers you've been watching and, and what are investors focused on? I'll get into what we're watching, but I think it's also worth noting the velocity of this market. So in the first quarter, as I mentioned, we had a tremendous amount of volatility. It was the most volatility ever uh, in the month of March. And we also had the fastest drop from peak in history. So we're down 20% from peak. And that was twice as fast as in 1929. Since then, in the last three weeks, the S&P actually rallied back by 25%. And we had one of the best weeks for the market since the 70s. So as you can imagine, this is really whipsawed investors in both directions. In terms of what we're watching, the economic numbers are making headlines, but it's really not what the market is focused on. The market's already prepared for negative numbers. Our economists are forecasting a negative 34% for second quarter U.S. GDP and the economy bottoming in April and then slowly recovering from there. Uh, We also think that unemployment is going to hit 15% later this quarter, and earnings for the S&P is probably going to decline by about 33% from where we were last year. We are also in the midst of earnings season right now, and most companies are entirely removing their outlooks. And really, the magnitude of that near-term uncertainty is well understood, and investors are 
rather looking for longer term metrics to be able to assess value. And those metrics that they're looking to are signals as to how long parts of the economy are going to be shut down. And this is going to have really the most significant impact on the time period to recovery and when the consumer demand returns. And this is largely dependent on medical progress on COVID-19 testing, on therapies, on vaccines. And fortunately, the day-to-day increase in the global confirmed cases is now the smallest that it's been since the end of March, which is definitely suggesting that the outbreak is better controlled. But if you look under the hood, there are definitely uh, significant regional variations. And so ahead of a vaccine being developed, which you know we think is probably going to be 18 months out at least, um, investors are really focusing on the level of virus spread in the population, developments in antibody testing, the potential for a second wave when social distancing measures relax, and then also just trying to get uh, when, when people actually start feeling going out again, when they're going to feel comfortable being in more heavily populated locations and events. And so... That's, um, that's one of the things that the markets focus on. I'd say the other thing is the market's also trading fiscal support expectations. And the government and the Fed have really acted swiftly on announcements thus far. They actually increased the size and scope of some of their programs just last week. But the, the general view is that if social distancing measures stay, that the $2 trillion or so on a $21 trillion economy that's been announced in stimulus just still won't be enough to get the consumer going, again, just given that 70% of US GDP comes from consumer spending. And because of that, investors are anticipating that we'll get a phase four of fiscal support. And that's going to include a bolt-on to the current program. So more cash payments to people, extension to unemployment benefits, also potentially another round of small business paycheck protection. The $350 billion that was initially provided last month actually today um, was announced that it's been fully utilized. Also, direct cash provided to state and local governments. So in, in past periods of stress, we've seen that if states can't balance their budgets, they lay off people, which prolongs the recession. New York City, I think just last week, announced that it was looking to take $1.3 billion out of the budget. So you can see that this is already having the impact. And then on the infrastructure side, you know, there has been chatter about that. We do think that, you, you know, we might see some progress there, but it's probably going to be challenging to achieve given um, there's less bipartisan support for that. So, Mina, you work with an extremely sophisticated set of investors who have access to all kinds of information and, and typically have, have money to put to work. How are they thinking about the markets right now? And are they seeing some opportunities? Sure. I think one of the most interesting things that I have the opportunity of working with with this client base is the fact that they have permanent capital and they have long-term capital. And so these investors don't necessarily try to time the market and we don't encourage them to. Timing the market in the past hasn't been a good strategy and we don't think it's going to be one going forward. And actually to that point, if you look at the last 15 years, the market returned about 7.8% per annum. But if you were out of the market on just the 20 best days, you wouldn't have made any money. That being said, we've had a dislocation right now. And so, and there's a lot of cash on the sideline. And some clients are saying, is right now the time that I should be legging more into the equity markets, given maybe I was underinvested coming into this. And we are suggesting for those, for those investors that you, you use the elevated volatility levels that the market is giving us right now to invest in companies that have very strong balance sheets and companies that are going to be able to sustain their dividend yields, companies that are going to be able to be opportunistic on the M&A front. We're also suggesting focusing on companies that 
are going to help with um, the, this pandemic and combating this pandemic. So global healthcare names that are going to allow for more efficient testing and more efficient treatment. And then companies that are really getting probably hit hard now, but if you look longer term, like these investors have the ability to do so, that they're going to be there in the long run because they have those structural and secular advantages. Mina, on the credit side, how are investors thinking about the opportunities there? We've seen, obviously, a lot of companies have issues because their their revenues evaporated. How are investors thinking about the opportunity on that side? Yeah, I would, I would say the key word in credit is bifurcation. And it's bifurcation between those credits that are supported by the policy programs and those that aren't. So when the pandemic hit, it really couldn't have happened at a worse time for credit markets. By and large, I would say spreads were relatively tight, and it was also at a time where leverage levels were relatively high, and then just as you mentioned, earnings had really disintegrated. And so with that dynamic, you started to see spreads just really blow out quickly. And then the central, the central bank came in and they stepped in to provide support initially to the investment grade market. And then just last week, they expanded that to um, include recent fallen angels. And fallen angels are companies that were investment grade, but have since been downgraded to high yield. And so given you've got that central bank support in investment grade, it's definitely an area where I'd say investors are more constructive. And here, you know, they by and large think that you're not going to go back to the lows that we were before, but they're still attractive levels and they're still attra- offering relatively attractive risk return. And so companies have been using that investor interest to actively shore up their balance sheets. And just last month in March, we hit an all-time record of $260 billion in new investment grade issuance. And we do expect that trend to continue and the market appetite is there. In high yield, there's much more bifurcation. So there is the Fed support for the recent fallen angels. And there, the, the note that the Fed did is that the companies have to maintain a credit rating of double B minus. So effectively, what the Fed is doing is they're supporting the upper end of high-yield companies. And they're doing that so long as their companies, you know, their balance sheets don't deteriorate further. Market participants are forecasting that we're going to see a pretty wide range of defaults. So anywhere from 5 to 25% is where I would say investors are forecasting for high-yield this year. We are forecasting 13% as a base case, assuming our current GDP numbers. A lot of this is already priced into the market, but unlike investment grade, where we do think you're not going to retest the lows, we do think that high yield spreads are going to widen from here. That being said, there's a big silver lining here. The silver lining is just like there was in the equity market, in the credit markets, there's a significant amount of dry powder. In the private credit markets alone, we think that's somewhere to the tune of $240 billion. In addition to that, you've also got interest from non-dedicated credit investors so private equity firms, sovereign wealth firms, and family offices. And this is allowing companies to come to market. And just this week alone, we had 11 deals price in the secondary market. Five deals came last week. And these deals are multiple times oversubscribed, but they are coming at levels that are wider to the secondary market. And so they are causing a little bit of a repricing from that perspective. And you are seeing where investor demand is it's definitely more secured and for shorter term structures. But going forward, you know, I do think that companies will continue to have avenues by which they can raise capital. And it's just going to depend on what's the most cost effective for them, depending on where investor interest is. And so 
you know, I think it's going to quickly toggle for corporates between credit, converts, and pipes, just given where the market dynamic is on any given week. Also say that it's worth keeping an eye on the preferred market. This market is relatively fairly valued right now. It is an area of interest to private clients and family offices, just given it's a income producing asset and the dividends tend to be, or the yield tends to be dividends and qualified income. So for the investor base that I work with, it tends to get a lot of interest. It's trading fairly valued right now, but just given the amount of volatility, we do see pretty large dislocations from time to time. Preferreds are effectively debt that is senior to common stock, but junior to, to senior debt. Most of these preferreds are U.S. banks. And unlike the financial crisis, we do think that banks are much better positioned to weather the recession and to be able to sustain those preferred dividend yields. About a month ago, we couldn't have talked about all these markets without spending a lot of time talking about the presidential election. Now, the Democratic primary was a bit more in doubt at that point. It's settled now. Are are investors at all thinking about the election? Uh, Typically in a presidential year, that would be um, a major overhang to the markets. How how are your investors thinking about that right now, your clients? It's it's definitely not top of mind right now, but it's, it's worth keeping in the discussion. Second quarter GDP levels historically have been one of the most important predictors of re-election. And as I mentioned before, we now expect that to be down 34%. And given the current dynamics, that data point's likely not going to be as relevant as it's been in the past. And so we do think that investors will look to approval ratings, which have also been a strong predictor. And the administration's response to the virus resulted in a short-term increase to President Trump's approval ratings. But they have fallen since then, and they might be under further pressure if the unemployment numbers increases as we expect. So we do think that investors will start positioning for potential policy outcomes under a Democratic administration. And unlike you know a few months ago, where there would probably been more chatter about increasing the corporate tax rates, we think that there's probably going to be more focus on new public health insurance options and, and things to help the general public. Okay, well, Mina, thanks for covering a a wide swath of the markets. Before we close, what's one uplifting non-financial story that you've heard this week? You know, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily one piece of news, but in general, everything that I've been hearing around people coming together and really running into the fire with a pandemic to help alleviate the pain is just really inspiring. And so whether that's Goldman increasing our philanthropic efforts, our charitable contributions, donating masks. There's a number of other companies that are doing that, that are using their industrial operations to create tools that will help others. And then also on the healthcare front, you know, there's people that are in the medical field that are coming out of retirement to help in any way that they can. There's doctors that are retraining to help with COVID-19 patients. And, you know, I've also just recently seen talk of medical students potentially graduating early to get on the front lines. And so I think it's just really amazing how many people are just running into the fire to to do their part and and try to help with what's going on here. Thanks for joining us today, Mina. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for having me. That's all for this week's Markets Update on Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. And in case you missed it, check out our other episode this week with Ashok Varadhan, co-head of our Global Markets Division, on how the sales and trading roles have changed over the past month and take away from the first quarter earnings and how that division performed. Thanks for listening and hope everyone is staying healthy and safe. This podcast was recorded on April 16th, 2020. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording.
This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.